You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 169. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, College circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it's an honor and privilege to have you here today. Appreciate the last couple weeks letting us dive into drinking and drug use in college. We will discuss that more. Uh, Again, I feel like I perhaps have slided you all in that kind of discussion um, throughout this show. I know I have a worldwide audience. Alcohol is treated differently in so many different parts of the world, and in some world parts it's not even allowed. Other parts it's very socially accepted that you know kids as young as 10 will have a little bit of wine here and there. But as far as what goes on here in uh, the western part of the hemispheres, right, the United States of America, we certainly have a culture that pushes and pushes and pushes drinking as being socially accepted um, and then seems to stigmatize and chastise those who... Um, ultimately begin to push it too far. And again, knowing the chemical uh, ways that the brain is working itself through the uses of alcohol and drugs, you can begin to say, wow, okay, yeah, it's not all up to user error, if you will, that there is a lot happening that inside the brain that while we can control how we begin to use alcohol and drugs. We may not ultimately have this vast array of resources within ourselves to slow it down or stop it because of all of the chemical reactions going on. And when we think about chemical reactions, it's not just um, with alcohol and drugs that these kings can be elicited. And we talked a little bit about how sex and food and porn and gambling, the vices, right? And the phone has certainly become a vice that we were not prepared for. The internet and online shopping and online gambling. I mean, there's just so many ways that you can now be involved in a vice that didn't even, that just flat out did not exist 30 years ago. And when we discussed the three reasons why people will use alcohol and drugs and all the other vices, of course, it's enhancement, it's coping, and it's social motivation. Um, And it's really interesting, you know, oftentimes the phone can be used to enhance an experience, you know, think about how often you pull it out to take a picture, right? It's one thing to experience the moment, it's another thing to be able to record the moment. Go to a concert and while it is becoming more of a norm for certain bands to ask everybody to put their phones away in these special bags, and if you haven't experienced that yet, you will because it's becoming a thing because they really want the audience to be more immersed in the experience of the music and not holding their phone up recording the damn thing the whole time, which I have often gone and looked for YouTube videos about the concert I just attended, and I'm amazed how very few there are, even though in the entire arena there's... 2,000 phones recording this one song, um, only three versions of it show up on the internet uh, up to a week later. And I'm like, so people are basically recording these things. And if you've done it like I've done it, you don't go back and watch them very often because it doesn't sound all that great. 
It's like, and ultimately it's taking away from the experience, right? Because you're expecting this phone to remember it for you rather than your own brain to remember it for you. And so these phones have absolutely been used to enhance. They're definitely used to cope when you're feeling isolated or alone. You can pull that thing out and be in touch with anybody on the planet, even if it's just a bunch of faceless people on Twitter. And of course, um, social conformity. I mean, come on, you could. What, what do you mean you're not on Snapchat? I mean, that's the reason the high school kids got to be on all the cool, coolest apps is because if they're not, all their friends are there. They're missing out on something. And what ends up happening inside the brain is that missing out, this fear of missing out, this you only live once mentality, it creates more chemical reactions. And it, along with it, it brings these emotions, right? Or some people would say that the emotions are what create this desire to go beyond those apps. But either way, regardless of what order all of this is happening in, negative and undesirable emotions can often lead us to abusing vices. And so today what we're going to talk about is how you can overcome fear and you can step into this version of yourself that's not afraid of failure. We've talked about it in the past on the show, but I'll state it again, that there is no failure. There's only feedback, right? I get that getting an F on a test gives you the feedback of you didn't study very hard. You didn't study very well. You did not have full comprehension of this material, and now you've stepped into this test, and it did not go well for you. So yes, I get that society will give you a big fat F and say you failed, but for yourself, for your own mindset, for your own mentality, you're going to want to look at this as an opportunity to take a lesson, to take some feedback, and figure out what it is that you didn't do well so that you can do better the next time. Right? It's like know better, do better, be better. So when you get a bad grade, you need look no further than what you did leading up to that grade that created that grade in your reality. You didn't go to the library. You tried to study at your apartment and your roommates kept coming in. They were playing video games out in the living room and there was people drinking and there was noise and you kept going out there and having some drinks and taking cigarette breaks or bong swats or whatever it might have been. Like, huh, got an F? Let's see how I prepared for this test. Skipped a bunch of classes, didn't read the material, barely studied my notes and got intoxicated the night before the test. Huh, it's not that you weren't, (laughs) it's not that you're not smart. It's not that you're not bright, but you definitely set yourself up for quote-unquote failure because you did not do a lot of the things that the person sitting next to you did, and they have an A. Ask them, how did you prepare? And I will live, drop a caveat here. There are going to be those people who are going to look over like, you know, I barely studied. I just, you know, my brain just knows this stuff. Okay, that's great. Now, one, that may be true, all right? So go ask somebody else who doesn't find the material so easy until you find somebody who actually had to put in effort because you clearly need to put in effort. So don't listen to the person who claims that they don't need to put in effort. You go find the person who did put in effort and then ask them what they did because you don't need to be taking advice from you know the brainiac who just magically knows so much awesome stuff about 18th century French architecture. Don't take advice from that person if you're taking a French architecture class and they just lived in France for 18 years of their life. Go find the person who's, who would also be struggling if it weren't for all the effort they were putting in. And two, that person could be lying to you and just straight up telling you how easy it is. But in reality, they're back there busting their ass. But they want to come off as someone who just sort of, you know, oh, man, I don't even have to try and I get A's. I can certainly attest to being that person who would be like, Psh, 
I ain't even trying. Look how good I'm doing. And secretly in the background, I was busting my ass out on this project. I was studying tons. So don't allow that person's response to, man, I see you got a good grade. I didn't. What did you do? If that response isn't going to benefit you, go find someone whose response will right? Go find that person who's like, are you kidding me? If I didn't study for 12 hours for this test, I would have totally gotten an F. Awesome. Can I please talk to you about how you're studying? And realize if you're drinking the night before and you're partying the night before and you're not going to the library in a quiet space, then maybe, maybe that's a start. And you might be one of those people who doesn't like to study in quiet spaces. You might be one of those people like me who actually wants to have some music going on. I've got tinnitus. It's a ringing in my ear. Cause it a little bit hard for me to concentrate sometimes, lots of times, most of the time. You know, I tend to have music going a lot, right? Different kinds of music I have anchored into different activities. So I, I can elicit calm and, and focus by listening to some classical Baroque kind of music, some Beethoven, some Mozart, so Chopin. If I want to write, right, then I'm listening to Karen O or something, you know, some sort of singer-songwriter woman. It's always a woman um, where the music's pretty slow and, and it's and it's got a good melody where the, the, the words just get lost in, the, in the, the sound of the music. If I really want to be super excited and create it's trance music. All right. If I'm just, you know, sort of glancing over certain kinds of material, it could be some grunge or some rock. Like I've got certain music I listen to. And if you're one of those people, then yeah, you might need to go to the library, but have some earbuds in at the same time. Enough on that. There were some caveats there. There's a little bit of a sidebar, but because we are going to be talking about how to fail and overcoming fear, um, you might often find yourself turning down opportunities to try new things in school, joining a new club or group or organization or taking on some sort of leadership role um, or just stepping outside of a material that you're very used to. Maybe you are, you know, really good at the math and sciences, not so good at the, at the English and the literature. And now you've got to go do your general studies and you find yourself taking classes that are not necessarily focus solely on your major, but yet getting a good grade in them is important to you, right? And so let's discuss this because this fear of failing will cost you down the road. You won't take on new things. You might half-ass the things that you could be trying really hard at because you're like, you know what? I would rather get a bad grade knowing I didn't try that hard than try really hard and still get that bad grade. And it's going to be that fear that's going to, that's going to begin to instill this it's okay if I don't do that well on this because I didn't try anyways kind of mentality. And that's going to definitely cost you in the future. In my family, we call it the half-ass. Don't be a half-ass howl. Don't be a half-ass mogul, right? It's like, don't take things on and do it half-ass. If you're going to sign up for it, do it all the way. And what I noticed in my parents, at least my stepdad, because that's who raised me, is he wouldn't necessarily know how to do something really well. And rather than research how to fix the water heater, and again, this was pre-YouTube in the 80s, um, he would just do it half-assed, make it worse, and then eventually still be calling out the water heater repair person. It's like, then don't, then just say, I don't know how to do this. I would rather pay somebody else, but don't half-ass it. If you agree to do it, do it all the way, because... Either way, an emotion is going to be created. So when you go and you start being offered opportunities that are outside your realm of your known experiences, of your known skill set that you haven't really developed a talent for yet, it's going to be in those moments where you might feel fear, right? I have to say, sometimes I just have to do it afraid. 
right? Taking action while feeling fear is a skill that you can develop, right? Just simply recognizing that fear, and oftentimes it can be absolutely irrational, right? This isn't fear like if you walked out of the cave tens of thousands of years ago, a saber-toothed cat might, you know, gobble you up or a woolly mammoth might stomp on you. We're talking about the fear of getting a D or the fear of not being the best leader or the fear of, of being asked to do something that you don't know how to do. These aren't, this is an end of the world kind of outcomes here. These are absolutely available as solution opportunities, in this day and age where you can learn how to do damn near anything you want to on YouTube, there's not many things that I won't take on knowing that if I walk, go off and watch some videos, I'll be able to figure out, All right? Got to figure out how to jumpstart a hybrid and not really sure where the battery is. Cool. Let me watch some videos. Cool. I got this. Don't need to pay some, you know, some tow truck company of $150 to come out. I'm not afraid of taking these things on because if I do enough research and I watch these videos with focused intent, then boom, I'm going to be able to figure this out. So sometimes your fear that you're fearing is irrational. And that's what I want you to ask yourself. Is this fear that I have, is it rational? Does it actually make sense? Or am I, am I over amplifying what is really not all that fearful and turning it into something even bigger than it actually is? Right? Just simply being able to recognize the difference between irrational fear and actual like legitimately needing to understand this fear. Hey, I'm going to go walk around this park in my city at three in the morning. Yeah, you might want to feel some fear around that. You are going to want some heightened state of awareness. You're going to want all your senses focused on that, right? Pupils dilated, ears tuned out for, you know, some uh, person sprinting towards you with a club. You're going to want a heightened state of awareness there. Don't be wearing earbuds. You're going to want all five of your senses making sure you are safe walking around a park in your city at 2, 3 in the morning. Being afraid that if you take on a leadership role in your club and that you may not live up to other people's expectations is an irrational fear. Right? Worrying about other people's expectations for your outcomes, right? you have no control over their expectations. You can just do the best you can do. If you're afraid that if you get put into a leadership role that you won't step up, then don't commit. But I would say commit and then start to learn how to step up. Oftentimes, the brain's innate desire to not feel bad emotions will cause you to push yourself outside of your comfort zone in a way you didn't even know you were prepared for. And then once you start to do it, you just get more comfortable doing it. Fear doesn't mean stop. Fear just means understand, maybe it means caution. We're not asking for fearlessness here. Uh, so we did that whole word of the year and whatnot, and we'll go over all that stuff in a different episode. You know, but I do not do fearless. I want to feel some level of afraid. I want to feel some level of trepidation, worry, concern, fear, whatever word you want to use. I want to feel these things. That's how I know I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. That's how I know I'm learning new things confusion, frustration, these are signs that your brain is building new neural pathways and that you're experiencing new things. If I'm not feeling some level of fear at any given point during my day, then all I'm doing is going through life in trance mode. And fear in and of itself is being created by a thought. We've talked about this, right? Circumstances, thoughts, feelings, actions, results. 
So when you have this thought, I'm going to take on this leadership role. What's your thought? Um, what if I don't live up to other people's expectations? Then the emotion and feeling of fear creep in. So then the action is either you don't take on the leadership role or you have no choice. Let's say you were thrusted into the leadership role. Now you're going about acting and behaving within this leadership role with this fear around the thought that people you will not live up to other people's expectations. And what kind of actions do you think you're going to take whenever they're being controlled by fear? right? You're going to sort of tiptoe into things. Or maybe your desire to show no fear, even though you feel fear, causes you just to blaze forward, not taking other people's advice, not seeking the counsel of others who've, who had experienced this leadership role before. Right? So you could either do things timidly or like a bull in a china shop. And neither one of them are going to lead you to the best outcome. Being able to be grounded in the moment, and we're going to go over that here in a couple episodes, being able to be grounded rather than emotionally triggered and reacting is going to pay huge dividends in your life, not alone just in school. Because remember, the, all of the things that you're learning about yourself in college are going to be utilized in your future. So you want to be able to develop this, I, I wouldn't call it a desensitization to fear because it's going to create a visceral sensitivity in you. What I want you to do is create an ability to pause, think about the fear, whatever picture you have coming up, what would be a better picture for you? What would be a different way to um, experience this inside yourself? If you see yourself as a leader and you're saying something and everybody's booing you and throwing tomatoes at you, like this is some play and, you know, 12th century Shakespearean times, no one's throwing tomatoes at people anymore, right? If you don't say the exact best word, then you can roll it back. You can say, you know, I misspoke. Uh, Hold on. Let me think about that for a moment. I'll get back with you. You can take a pause. Do not have to necessarily give a response in that moment. I don't know, but I'll find out more and I'll come back with you. That's a complete sentence. That's a complete thought. So when you start to think about overcoming fear, it is in the action where fear gets turned on its head. Fear is going to try to stop you from leaving the cave. Fear is going to try to stop you from standing up, raising your hand, and and taking action. Fear is going to say, nope, 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 don't do that. We might have to feel a negative emotion. So I would rather feel fear in the moment now than have to feel humiliation later. Where if you can step through that, take action, take on the leadership role, Next thing you know, you might actually feel that, wow, look how good of a leader I am. I don't believe leaders are born. I believe that that leaders are curated. I believe that they're developed. I don't think anyone was a natural born leader any more than I think anyone was naturally born to throw a football or hit a golf ball, right? They may have had great hand-eye coordination and with tons of practice around one particular skill, it became something that looks like it was God-given, but it wasn't. If no one had handed Tiger Woods a golf club or Michael Jordan a basketball or John Elway a football and instead handed them, I don't know, a trash picker up and a pooper scooper, they may have been the best pooper scooper on the planet because their hand-eye coordination and their ability to maneuver through the dirty grass was second to none. But it wasn't because they were born with this ability to play a particular sport or lead a particular amount of people. It was developed over time. 
at a young age, they may have taken on some level of leadership and it worked out well. And even if it didn't, it didn't work out well. And they said, you know what? I'm never going to feel that again. I'm going to be the best leader I can be. And they just kept putting themselves in leadership positions because it's in the taking of action that the fear is proven wrong, that you're able to prove it incorrect to yourself. When I took um, this I think it's called The Art of Happiness is the name of the podcast. But the it was like, um, it was a woman, I don't remember her name. If you go to The Art of Happiness, the the name, the woman who hosts it, she's a professor at Yale and she did this one class on happiness. And it got really huge during the pandemic. And in there, she talks about the human mind will actually create stories in its head about how bad things will be if they do particular activity. But it, Oftentimes, it is nowhere near as bad as the story the brain fed itself in order to not take action, in order to not do something that could have elicited happiness. And the worst case scenario in most of these situations, i.e., let's take the park at three in the morning out of this, but most decisions you make, right, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to have to feel a feeling. And then we want to elevate it even more. Then the worst thing that happens is that you might miss out on the best thing that could happen. Right? What if you don't take on the leadership role because you don't want to have to feel humiliation if you're not great? But that means you don't ever get to feel the elation when you are great at it. And then you miss out on the best case scenario, which is that you're actually a great leader, that people actually do want to listen to you, that you do actually have the organizational skills and the program managing skills and all this other stuff to be wonderful at leading people. And you're empathetic and compassionate and you can really step into somebody else's model of the world and and embrace their point of view. And that causes everybody around you to be able to do the same. You miss out on all of that amazingness because you let fear stop you before you even started. Stopping you before you even start. Most people have experienced that somewhere in their life. And so you stop yourself before you even start because heaven forbid you were to fail. But what if you just decided before you ever even took on the activity ahead of time that even if you do fail, that you won't beat yourself up about it. That you'll step back and say, okay, what did I do? What could I do better next time? Right, we have this thing in my coaching where we call it good, grow, great. What did I do good? Where can I grow? And what did I do great? And being able to run your life through this filter of good, grow, great is going to pay huge dividends because it it allows you to really, when I say that there is no failure, that there's only feedback, it's in these feedback opportunities that you can actually really deduce what it is that you did. If you're Looking at everything that you did as a failure, it was 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 a failure, then you don't really ever get to stop and really ask yourself, well, what did you do good? Where did you leave something on the table? Where can you grow? And how can you be great next time? That's what I say about there is no failure, there's only feedback. But you have to put yourself in a position to actually hear the feedback. If all you want to do is focus on the where you did things wrong, then you're already using the wrong word. Wrong is the wrong word. So what did you do good? Where can you grow? And what did you do great? And yes, this is very much like that whole um, in managerial 
trainings we we call it the Oreo where it's like right you know would you do good where could you stretch where would you what you know what can you do better the next time and then what did you do great it's similar I just changed it to good grow great so, you know it's like G cubed um, the idea being that it really opens your mind up to hearing the feedback. So when you go to do this with yourself, don't start off with what you think you did bad or wrong. First, be like, okay, what did I do good? It could have just been that you showed up on time and you were dressed appropriately, all right? <laughs> that you had a bottle of water and you didn't come in reeking of cigarettes or booze from the night before. I mean, that could be what you think is all you did that was good, right? And then you can start going into, okay, this is what I could, this is where I can grow. I could actually do research. I could actually show up with a slideshow. I could actually have the slideshow prepared. Like, these are all things that you can figure out. Right? These are all things that you can t- turn into tasks, get done, and then you're more prepared the next time. And what did you do great? The fact that you even stepped up to do this is great. And you should commend yourself for it. Applaud yourself. More people are afraid of public speaking than they are afraid of dying. And that's a Seinfeld joke, but it's legit. So getting up and taking on a leadership role, you're already stepping outside of a comfort zone. Most people will never even attempt to step into. What if you've just flipped failure on its head? What if you just collected these things like medals of honor on your wall? A couple of weeks ago, um, the football program from Texas Christian University got housed by the football program from the University of Georgia. I mean, housed, like worst beat down that's ever happened in a bowl game. Now, TCU could walk away from that saying what was the biggest failure of all time, all bowl games, like 1,500 some bowl games, worst beat down ever. But last year, they were five and seven. They haven't made it to a national championship game since like 1939 something. They're like the little engine that could. And yes, when they got to the top of the mountain, the big old mean giant had no problem smashing their little train car up to bits. But that's UGA. A team with half of them going to the pros and, uh, and the reason the other half aren't going to the pros is they're not eligible to. Now, they could see it as a failure. Or they could say, wow, look at this amazing season we have. Look at these great leaps and bounds and look, and look how many people around the world know about this university because of what we did. They could see it as a failure. They could see it as a feedback opportunity. What did we not do as well? This game that we had done previously that allowed us to win. Yeah, some interceptions um, certainly played a role in that, but it's all about putting it on its head. They could wear that as a badge of honor. They could put that up on the wall and say, man, yeah, we got our asses beat down, but you know what? We were there. No other team was able to be there. It could be argued that they shouldn't have been there at all, but it doesn't matter about what people want to argue. It matters about the facts. The facts were they were there. They had done everything they were supposed to do in order to earn a chance to be there. So why don't you wear the medals of quote-unquote failure, which again are actually feedback opportunities, but I would rather make 99 calls and have 99 people tell me, no, I do not want your coaching, or no, I do not want you to speak at our university, and then that one say yes, and then I can say, okay, what did I say to them? that got them to say yes? What did I say to them that communicated my desire to come in and help their student body? What did I say that was going to allow them to, to understand the kind of benefit and value I could bring their, their students, right? Learning what I did well in that moment to get the yes will help me in the next 100 calls. But if I stop after call 99, then I never get to that yes. I don't get to feel the elation of somebody saying, yes, we'd love to have you come to speak. And what's crazy is that most people will never even get to 99. They'll stop after four. 
well, I guess this just isn't for me. If it's something that you've never done before or rarely done and have no experience in, you're not just going to pick something up and be amazing at it. That's a fixed mindset. This is why raising children to think that they're a genius is not a good move. You raise children to think that they're hard workers, that whenever they apply themselves that they can achieve great things. But telling them, telling a kid that they're a genius either means that they don't want to prove to you that they're not, so they're only going to stay in their wheelhouse and stay doing things that they know they're good at, which being a genius at 11 years old is not going to pay off that many dividends at 27, right? So they're not going to want to disappoint, so they're, they're not going to try new things. They're going to get easily discouraged when they do try new things and they're not immediately great at them because you've been telling them that they're a genius. So now they have all this self-doubt. They lose esteem, self-worth because they thought they were one thing and it turns out they weren't. Everyone's a genius. Somebody did something, figured it out, did well, pat them on the back, go work hard for the next amazing thing. We're humans. We naturally want to raise our bar. Hedonistic adaptation says that eventually we're going to get we're going to get tired of the status quo. We're going to get bored with the same old thing. We're going to want something new. Right? If, if you're afraid of failing, then you're not going to try new things. Where your perceived failures as badges of honor, utilize them as feedback opportunities. Move through the fear. Sometimes you just have to do it afraid. What is the thought in your mind picturing? What is, it, what is that picture in your mind that the thought is creating of what people laughing and pointing so then you feel humiliated? Change that picture. Imagine that they're all standing up and applauding. What's that feeling feel like? Lock that in. Bring that back to your present and move forward. I don't care if trolls get on the internet and talk shit about what I do for a living or my podcast and pardon my French because I know I got some younger listeners, so I try not to use profanity, but that's a John Stewart moment. That's a very strong place to, to use that word. I do not care if people are going to get on there and give me a bunch of nonsense, right? Because all they're good at is trolling and saying nasty things. They're not out here putting themselves out trying to change the world, trying to do something for the betterment of other people. You can be that person who does great things for the betterment of other people. And naturally, things if you, get, if you help others get what they want, you will get what you want. But if you're afraid to step up, and then you let that fear hold you back so you never get to feel the elation, you never get to achieve the amazing thing, to me, that's the biggest failure. To never fully create my meant to be in my life, to never reach my fullest potential. If I'm on my deathbed, and somebody's like, what's your biggest failure? I would say never reaching my fullest potential because I allowed fear to tell me what I, was, what I could and could not do. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. I would rather feel a negative emotion for a minute and then down the line, be able to feel the amazing positive emotion than to just never feel either one. Because what's funny is that fear, fear's not gonna keep, fear's not gonna stop coming around. And in fact, the more you give into it, the more resilient it becomes. So before you know it, even things that you are good at are creating fear inside of you. Fear multiplies. But you know what? So can confidence. It's just on the other side of that fear. Risk your comfort zone and everything you desire is right around it. I can assure you, everything you desire 
is on the other side of risking your comfort zone. We'll see you next week. Inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy. Now, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 